Oh, baby. It's official. Antonio Brown has signed a one-year deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Last night, Daniel Jones and the New York Giants quite literally fell on their faces. And the Dodgers and Rays face off in Game 3 of the World Series. It all starts in less than one minute. You're listening to This Week in Sports. Here's your host, The Pody. Hello and welcome in, everybody. I'm your host, as always, The Pody, and you're listening to This Week in Sports. It is Friday, October 23rd, 2020, and we're about to dive into everything I just touched on at the top of the show in that intro there. We will get to the New York Giants and Philadelphia Eagles a big matchup in the NFC least. Okay, we'll get to that. I promise you we will get to that a little bit later. We will talk World Series, which is currently going on right now. And we will talk. We will talk about the biggest news of the day. And that is Antonio Brown signing a one-year deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady. Wow, is that the team to beat in the NFC right now? We don't know, but we will get into it. And we are going to start off the show and talk some NFL. It wouldn't be, I can't talk Antonio Brown and then jump into a different sport. Can't do it. Uh, Not on this show, not on this day. So we are going to start with week six, I believe, Recapping week six. Yes, we're in week seven this weekend. So recapping last week was week six. We will start with Brady's Bucks taking on Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. I will admit, along with probably everyone else in America, totally got this game wrong. The Packers have been the most dominant team in football up till this point. Okay, they are 4-0 against the spread, just straight beast-moding it. Aaron Rodgers looking, you know, turning back the clock, looking seven years younger. All right, they go up 10-0 early, march down the field, go up 10-0 early. They looked like they were going to cruise to an easy W. But it was actually the other way around. Surprise. Oh, my God, excuse me, I got something in my throat here. Uh, it was the other way around. The game flipped on a switch when Aaron Rodgers 
through a pick six. It was a great read by, um, I forget the guy's first name, but a guy, Dean. Uh, pick six, Rodgers to the house. That's when the game absolutely flipped, okay? Aaron Rodgers would then come back. I think it was even the very next possession through another interception on a tipped pass, okay? And the Bucks just did not look back from that point on. Brady led them to a th- uh, 38 straight points, I believe it was, and they go on to route Green Bay 38-10. to 10. Just an absolute drubbing that nobody saw coming. It was the first loss of the season for the Green Bay Packers. And Aaron Rodgers, well, he's going to take this, uh, you know, on the chin. And he said his team needed this. Take a listen. You don't ever want to lose like this. I felt like we needed a little bit of a wake-up call at some point this season uh, because things have been so good. And I think we need a kind of a kick in the ass a little bit as, as a little bit of a wake-up to uh, you know, stop feeling ourselves so much and get back to the things that got us this position. Certainly taking a positive approach to that one. Uh, But yes, just did not see that coming. Lost money on that game for sure. Uh, But my Steelers saved me. They they were my big, big pick of the day. The only team that I really felt comfortable with all day. So I was a little bit happy that I got that one right. Okay. Next up, let's talk a huge game in the AFC South. The undefeated Titans taking on the newly energized reinvigorated Houston Texans led by their interim head coach. Excuse, excuse me, uh, Romeo Cornell, the veteran coach there. This one turned out to be must watch football. I was big on the Texans at plus four going into this one, although I did not bet it. I was going to include that in one of my parlays. Okay, this is just one of those bad beat type situations. I'll explain. They fall down a couple scores early. Start to wonder, like, okay, maybe this one I was just totally wrong. No, they start fighting back, and believe it or not, they take the lead on a Brandon Cooks touchdown reception late, around two-minute warning or so. Interestingly enough, you know, they're one in five. They decide, or one in four. They decide to go for two, up eight. Already up eight. Excuse me, already up seven. They kick the extra point. They go up eight. Romeo Cornell is like, you know what? We're a one and four team. Let's go out there. Let's lay it on the line. Let's try to win this against an undefeated opponent and get it done right now. The two-point conversion failed. And well, honestly, it did prove to be very costly. The Titans marched down the field immediately, and they tied up the game on a very controversial A.J. Brown touchdown catch to send this one to overtime. I was not happy because A.J. Brown did not secure this football to the ground, fell out of bounds. His knee was out of bounds before his shin hit the ground, and of course, they claim there was not enough evidence to overturn the ruling on the field of a touchdown. So they send this one to overtime. Goskowski did hit the extra point, sends this one to overtime. The Titans won the toss, and you could see Deshaun Watson just so upset um, as he as he watches the coin toss because he's out there uh, w- with whoever it was on the Titans, as they called it. And the Titans win the coin flip, and my goodness, they march right down the field, and they score a touchdown and win this game. And the story in this one, 
was none other than Derrick Henry or King Henry himself. He rushed for 212 yards, two touchdowns, including the game winner from the Wildcat, which was set up by a 50-yard reception. He did also have like a 93-yard touchdown run in this game. It's just unbelievable what he does. Robert Frank, shout out to you. Um, You and Derrick Henry would get along very well. I I have to wonder if Derrick Henry isn't a fan of yours, Rob, because my goodness, this guy, it is apparent he does not do legs. legs. Leg day is not in his vocabulary or his vernacular. He is chest seven days a week, and it shows because he is built like a brick house up top, and he's got them skinny speedster-type legs, and nobody can seem to catch him. He, Somebody that size is not supposed to be able to outrun everybody, and he just continues to impress. Uh, the Titans remain unbeaten. They win this one 42-36, and they build their lead even more in the AFC South. Derrick Henry becoming the first player in NFL history to rush for 200 yards or more in a game in three consecutive seasons. You you hit 21.6 miles per hour on that run. That's pretty good for someone your size. Matter right, of fact, that's that's too slow. I need to get I need to get to 22. Having some fun with the reporter there. Okay, next up, let's talk Pat's Broncos. This would be the stunner of the day, and we all probably should have seen it coming. My good buddy Nick, who's been on this show before, is a huge Broncos fan, and he absolutely called this one. He was loving the Broncos at plus seven and a half. Again, this was another one I had in my queue, uh, in my bet slip with in a parlay, I was going to take them at plus seven and a half. I was going to take the Texans at plus four. Although, like I said, that was a bad beat because they lost in overtime when they should have actually won the game in regulation if they kicked that extra point possibly and forced the Titans to go for a two-point conversion at the end of regulation. Then who knows what. But that was a bit of a bad beat. Um, but I was going to take this one. I just felt maybe he he's, you know, blowing smoke up my, you know, blowing smoke because sometimes when you're just too close to it, too close to the game as a hardcore fan, you don't see it straight. But on the flip side, that's also the reason why he was seeing clearly and he did know that his team was going to come into Gillette, getting Drew Locke back, getting seven and a half. And not only do they cover, they straight up win this game 18 to 12. And the reason I say we should have all seen it coming is because the Pats only had two on-field practices over the last two weeks. Now, this is an aberration. Um, We don't expect to see this moving forward. The Pats will be hosting the 49ers. It is going to be Jimmy G coming, you know, back against Bill Belichick. Um, So that looks to be a good matchup. But they did struggle in this one mightily. Uh, Drew Locke, came back, like I said, from that shoulder injury, uh, and he gave the Broncos a much-needed boost at quarterback. There was no Melvin Gordon in this one, so Philip Lindsay got to shine a little bit, rushed for, I think, 101 yards. Um, Brandon McManus, he was, you know, he was the man of the hour uh, in this one. He he made six field goals on the day, and like I said, the Broncos win this one 18-12. to There is one question I do have for Vic Fangio. Because the Broncos had this um, in the bag, and then all of a sudden, late in the fourth quarter, up multiple scores, the Broncos 
start throwing the ball. And Drew Locke, a young quarterback, second year against a Bill Belichick-led defense. You cannot make mistakes like this. Vic Fangio, what were you thinking by not running out the clock? No, instead, they're throwing the ball. Drew Locke throws two interceptions late in this game. And by the grace of God, the Patriots, are, for the Broncos' sake, the Patriots did not march down the field and win this game because they had the opportunity to do so. Just shocking Vic Fangio's, you know, time management skills. I swear uh, that man just, you know, if <laughs> from this game to, to week one with him not calling the timeouts and just losing on a game-winning field goal, his time management skills at, at the end, latter stages of games, just very costly, and, and he got lucky with that one. Uh, Bill Belichick on the other side. Very unhappy after the loss, drops his team under 500 for the first time this season. We need to do a better job in all areas of the game. We we need to play better on offense, defense, and special teams, and coach better. And I don't know, but you want a percentage? We need to do everything better. I think I've said that three or four times, so I'll just say it again. We need to do everything better. All right, next up, my New York Jets versus the Miami Dolphins. I was a little bit torn on this one. Dolphins are not a great team. They're okay. They're a mediocre team at best. Okay, they might be able to sneak into the playoffs with that added uh, seventh team in the in the playoffs now in the postseason here. But they were eight and a half point favorites. And I was like, I'm not touching this game, obviously, but eight and a half points. Are the Jets this bad to lose by eight and a half to the Miami Dolphins? And the answer was yes, a resounding yes. Oh my God, just when you think it can't get any worse, my 28 years on this planet, I don't, I was too young to know the Rich Kotite era, the 95, 96 season, all that, where they had the number one pick, Keyshawn Johnson. Okay, that, that stuff there. I was too young for that. This is the worst team I've ever witnessed as a Jets fan. Far and away the worst team. It's not even close. They could be, many are speculating that this could be the worst team in NFL history. The 78 uh, expansion Bucks, led by uh, Steve Spurrier at quarterback, actually. Um, they were the worst team in the league. They had the worst, um, they started, you know, 0-12 the first season. I think they lost like 24 straight games as an expansion franchise before they won. But this New York Jets team, it, it this is this is as low as it gets. Okay, um, they are easily the worst team in football, and it showed in every facet of the game on Sunday as they lost to the Dolphins twenty-four to zero. This isn't the Patriots. This isn't the Kansas City Chiefs. They lost to the Dolphins twenty-four to zero. They become the first team to be shut out in twenty twenty, and they are now the only remaining team in the NFL without a win because both the Falcons and New York Giants won on Sunday. So Jets are the only remaining uh, winless team in the NFL. Uh, just shocking, shocking, shocking. I'll have more on them uh, may maybe later. They are expected to get Sam Darnold back from injury. Possibly rookie receiver, second round pick. Denzel Mims could be uh, making his debut for the uh, green and white New York Jets this weekend. Um, so you know, more on that game a little bit later. 
Okay, let's talk Chiefs and Bills Monday night football. We had a doubleheader slated for Monday due to some rescheduling uh, issues with COVID and all that stuff, games being moved around. For just the second time in the Patrick Mahomes era, Kansas City ran it more than they threw it in their 26-17 win. I think the other time was week one uh, in Clyde Edwards-Alaire's uh, first first uh, game as a rookie. Okay, this was a sloppy, rainy, windy type of night in Buffalo. So both teams really kind of struggled to, th- to throw the ball or move the ball through the air. So there was, a, uh, you know, especially the Chiefs running it and pounding that rock all night long. Okay, uh, to the tune of 245 rushing yards, which, yes, that is the most since Andy Reid joined Kansas City. They did all this without Le'Veon Bell, who, of course, they just signed in free agency and who, of course, because of stupid COVID rules and the no fun league, had to sit out due to COVID restrictions, has to test positive, uh, negative like five or six straight days before he can join the team. He is eligible to play this weekend and he should suit up in his first game with Kansas City. So I'm excited to see what he has to offer for Kansas City, just an embarrassment of riches there. Uh, here's Andy Reid um, with uh, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and uh, Edwards Alaire uh, on the victory and, and on adding. Um, no, I think this is just about adding Le'Veon Bell and what this means for them moving forward. We don't turn away good players, and, and uh, he's a good one. So um, uh, it's exciting to. Have him around, and we'll, we'll see how he does. Clyde will sleep well tonight, uh, as I think the other backs will. That one more guy, I don't think any of them will complain there. Talking to Le'Veon, he's, you know, an, a, another guy coming in, a, another piece to the puzzle. So ultimately, um, from from here, I just feel like we can we can only go up. He's someone who's had tremendous success in this league for a long time now, and he's still in the, the prime of his career. Next up, let's talk the nightcap of Monday Night Football, the real scheduled game was the Cardinals at Jerry World taking on the Dallas Cowboys, the new look Cowboys. Of course, Dak Prescott, um, you know, broke his leg um, during the Giants game. Um, So it would be Andy Dalton, the Red Rocket taking over or the Red Rifle taking over in place uh, of him. The veteran spent uh, his early days in in Cincinnati. Okay. And, um, you know, I was I was going back and forth, not sure which team to bet, you know, to take or to bet on in, in this in this matchup. And, um, you know, the more I talked over it with my friends, it's like you can't really the Cardinals, I don't believe, are really a great team. They might sneak into the playoffs. We'll see. They have some good pieces. They're adding, uh, you know, Nuke, uh, you know, Hopkins uh, this year. But um We'll see how they are. They're 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 a decent team, but the Cowboys. This is Andy Dalton's first game starting with them, so it was one of those things where you kind of want to see what he can do before you trust them with your money. And so I did luckily take an odds boost on DraftKings, which was the Chiefs and the Cardinals parlayed straight up. Both of them had to just win, and it was. Pretty easy money, I, I must say. I threw fifty bucks on it. I won a hundred five, and then I had like ten dollar um, uh, promo in um, Fanduel for one of my my same game parlays that didn't hit last week. So I or or on Sunday, 
So then I took that $10 on the Cardinals game and I took the Cardinals at that point it was late in the third quarter. They were up like 20 something points and it was Cardinals like minus two and a half and under uh, 54 points. And I was like, okay, it was $10 to win like two, two and change, almost $3. Um, but that promo balance in FanDuel, if you know anything about FanDuel, you lose that $10 after like seven days. So I bet that won that. So really got that $10 back plus three. So one of like $108, um, depending on how you look at it. So so that was a good night. Uh, started to get back on my winning streak with the Steelers there. Did lose the Packers game, but that's okay. Um, so so that was good there. But yeah, uh, Kyler Murray just un, you know undefeated in Jerry World. Okay, just easy game for, for the Cardinals. Zeke, um, this one, so this one got kicked off with two really, really bad Ezekiel Elliott fumbles. And it really just, any any momentum they had just gone and that was your ball game right there they turned it over a total of four times you could tell Andy Dalton still adjusting to his new team um and it was just ugly all around but here's Zeke um putting it all on his shoulders saying he's got to do a better job I'm supposed to be a guy this team can rely on. I'm supposed to be a guy that this team can can lean on when times get rough. And and I just wasn't that today. Uh, but uh, I killed our momentum. Two fumbles. Uh, I can't do that. I can't. I mean, I started the game out with two fumbles, gave the ball away, and that gave them all the momentum that they needed to uh, go and take off. Uh, so I mean, I was. I, I want to say um, I'm sorry, and this one's on me. And um, I need to be better for this team. If you're a Cowboy fan, you can only look at it, you know, with a half glass full, with a glass half full type of approach. They might be two and four, but they play in the NFC least and they are still technically, you know, they're in first place or tied there with the Eagles um, based on, you know, after last night's game. Um, And they're in a division where we could realistically see and I don't have the, I don't know the numbers, but I, I'm not, I'm not sure. We maybe I'm sure it's happened, you know, maybe once or twice. But we could honestly have a division with a six and ten winner, or seven and nine. I mean, that is just abysmal. Imagine you're hosting a home playoff game with a six and ten record. There could be teams that are nine and seven or ten and six that don't make the playoffs. But this one of these teams is going to make it, you know, with an under 500 record possibly and in all likelihood Uh, here, you know, and if they go out and beat Washington, boom, they're right back, you know, in first place solely. Uh, Here's Lewis Riddick. He had some harsh words for America's team. We don't want to hear any excuses. And although their offensive line has been decimated and their defense has been poor, there's no excuse. You're in a weak division. Find a way to get it done. In the offseason, it's always Dallas has weapons. Dallas has all these guys that can score points. Dallas, 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 Dallas. And then they have a performance like this. Yeah. They got to figure out a way because there's no excuses this year. Yeah, not holding it back there. And he's totally right. Okay, if it were not for the Antonio Brown news, this would be the biggest story in the NFL. It is official. It is to a time in Miami. And to me, it it was shocking news when I found this out. Um, After Ryan Fitzpatrick, back-to-back great games, got this team 24 points or more in back-to-back games. They got he got them to three and three, so 500 record. But they are in a bye week this week, and you always see this 
young rookie quarterbacks, when they feel that they're ready, they usually use that bye week to get them ready. And there you go. Tua has been named starter going forward. After this bye week, he will be the official starter for the Miami Dolphins. And like I said, I'm a little bit surprised. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick, you could say he was shocked as well because apparently he's sitting at the breakfast table, you know, eating his Cheerios or whatever, and he's scrolling through Twitter and sees Adam Schefter announce that he has been benched and Tua has been named the starter. So somebody in that Miami Dolphins organization leaked this story to Adam Schefter before anybody in the organization could call Fitzpatrick in to the offices or team facilities, sit him down and explain the situation. So you can imagine that Ryan Fitzpatrick was upset. Here was what he had to say. You really got to feel for the man. My heart just hurt all day. Like it was, it was heartbreaking for me. Um, you know, and I, Flo kind of said what he said and said what he said to you guys as well. And that's the decision and the direction that the organization is going in. And obviously, you know, we've talked in the past, uh, me and you guys about, you know, how I'm the placeholder and this eventually was going to happen no matter. It, it was just a matter of kind of when, not if. And uh, it's still just, it, it broke my heart yesterday. And, um, you know, it's a tough uh, tough thing for for me to hear and to now have to deal with, but um, you know I'm going to do my best with it. This cannot happen, and the bad teams always look bad because how this, how can this happen? You're gonna this story gets leaked before you have the professionalism to tell Ryan Fitzpatrick he's being benched. First of all, I totally disagree with the decision. I do not think now is the time to bench this man in favor of Tua. Yes, we all know he was a placeholder, a stopgap, but it's Ryan Fitzpatrick, and he's playing lights out right now, Fitzmagic is. He's got the he's got it going on, okay, beard and all, and he just looks like a young kid out there, and he enjoys playing, and the troops rally around him. So this could be either really good or really bad, but you know they're not, you know, if Tua struggles mightily, they're all in now. You can't, you can't go back to Fitzpatrick unless there's an injury. Um, but the good news is if you're, you know, if you're a Tua fan, you know that he's fully healthy. Otherwise, they would not be making this switch. You just got to wonder if he's ready to go out there and help this team sustain what they've been doing or, or you know, take that leap to the next level and make a playoff push. I don't know. I don't see it. I think this is a mistake. I think that if they stayed with Fitzpatrick, they could have had a run at the playoffs. Okay, let's talk last night's Thursday night football game between the Eagles and the New York Giants. And of course, of course, of course, of course, I fell for this stupid Eagles trap, okay? Um, I was wanting, me and my buddy talked about this like for a couple days. We were liking the New York Giants. There was going to be no um, no Zach Ertz, no, no, um, no Miles Sanders in this one. Two big starters for the Eagles, right, on a short week. None, you didn't have them, okay? Um, Giants, of course, barely just beat the Washington uh, Redskins. So, you know, maybe a little momentum there, but all was signs were pointing to the Giants covering. This spread was just too much. 
Uh, I mean, the Bengals, the Eagles couldn't even beat the Bengals. They tied them. Just bad teams, both of them, all around. So, you know, Michael K. freaking convinced me. He was so high on the Eagles as a Giants fan that I said, you know what? Okay, you've convinced me. Let me just take the Eagles. This should be an easy cover. They've got the better players. They've got the better team, the better quarterback at this moment. Let's just get it done. Okay, and... First possession, first series, uh, Giants kick off the Eagles. Eagles march down the field. 11 plays, touchdown on Carson Wentz, QB keeper uh, option, read option, takes it in. Eagles up 7 nothing. I'm like, oh, this is beautiful. They're going to cover this so easily. Well, next possession, three and out uh, inside their own like 20-yard line. So they punt. Giants get the ball around midfield or, 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 you know, or Eagles territory somewhere about there. And Daniel Jones, it's like one or two plays later, he throws a ball to Golden Tate out of the slot who goes up and mosses, okay, just absolutely mosses Nikel Roby Coleman, who basically had the worst game of his life and should be kicked out of the National Football League for his performance last night. Just absolutely freaking dreadful. Honestly, out of the slot, he reminded me a lot of Buster Screen with the Jets, just penalty after penalty after penalty after just letting guys blow past him. I mean, he was so bad. And if you're wondering where you you recognize that name from, well, Nikel uh, Roby Coleman is the guy that played for the Rams who uh, got away with the no-call pass interference in the NFC Championship game, which would have given the Saints uh, the ticket to, that they needed to the Super Bowl. So yeah, that guy. Kick him out of the league already. Just absolutely horrible. Cost me the cover last night. Well, that along with Carson Wentz throwing a, t- a pick in the end zone when I thought he was pro- pro- uh, throwing it away. Can't make that mistake. You're a freaking veteran. Been in this league how many years now? Okay, and then uh, Jake Elliott. I mean, you missed a 29-yard field goal. I, I, I can't even... How does that happen? And then, of course, the Eagles don't convert on two Two two-point conversions. So that's now three in a row, including last week's debacle at the end of the game against uh, the the Ravens, which I didn't even talk about that game. Lose by two because they go read option and Carson Wentz keeps it and gets absolutely stuffed. I don't know what their fascination is or what Doug Peterson's fascination is with this read option down at the, you know, two-yard line with these, with, yeah, it, it makes no sense. They did it again on the first touchdown. It was a horrible read and it was just happened to be a missed tackle. So Carson Wentz was able to spin and get in the end zone. But uh, yeah, these were two bad teams. The Eagles, when I, when I missed that field goal, that 29-yarder, I knew I was dead in the water. I just knew it. You could feel, you could feel the, you know, you could feel it change in the air. It was momentum was shifting towards the Giants. And yes, it did. Um, Daniel Jones had an unbelievable quarterback, you know, read option that he was on his own like 10 or 20 yard line. And he ran it 80 freaking yards. And then he got blown up and fell flat on his face. I'll let you listen for yourselves. From the 12, Jones keeps, gets a block, takes off, and he is gone. Trying to stay upright, and he trips. Absolutely all alone, and he trips. Going to the end zone and ends up carrying it as it is for 80. 
But a walking touchdown, and he tripped himself. He's reading Brandon Graham out there, and then he takes it, and once he does and pulls it, there's just nobody left. Even Evan Ingram is out there blocking, and this is the only way he doesn't score. Yeah, Daniel Jones had a touchdown in the making, and he was running so fast, and his momentum got so um, in front of him that he ran out of steam at the end and fell fat, flat on his face. 80-yard run, though. That is pretty impressive. I have some numbers on that run. Let me see real quick. I thought I had some numbers on that run. Let me see here. It was, okay, so it was the longest run by a quarterback without scoring a touchdown in the last 40 years. That is ridiculous. And I, when I read this part, I, 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 my jaw dropped to the floor. Um, he reached a top speed, I think over 21 miles an hour, which was faster than any run by Lamar Jackson this year. Daniel Jones, ladies and gentlemen, is a nerdy, preppy looking white kid. I mean, make, we make fun of him, you know, that he looks like Eli and he's goofy and this and that. But I mean, he ran faster than Lamar Jackson has run all season long. So that is kind of impressive. Okay. Um, they had an 11 point lead late in this game with five minutes left and they could not hold on to the victory. Um, the Eagles got the ball back, marched right down the field, scored. Giants had a chance on a third and like seven to uh, basically get a first down and end this game. Daniel Jones throws just about as perfect a ball as you can have. Down the side, left sideline, Evan Ingram is wide open. Eagles were selling out for the run. Uh, you know, He's got step, step and a half on a defender, hits him right in the hands, and he drops the ball. Okay? Uh, just cannot happen. Okay? This is the problem with Evan Ingram. It's been a problem since he's been here. He either can't stay healthy, has all this talent, can't stay healthy, or drops the ball. Okay? Um, so that cost them. Eagles then got the ball, and with like 40 seconds left, they got to first and goal on about the five. There was a penalty that brought them back. It was first and goal from about the 16 or 18. Boston Scott goes on a little wheel route. Carson Wentz, boom, hits him for the touchdown. That gives them the one-point lead. They go for two again. That fails yet again. Giants get the ball back. And in giant fashion, or in Danny Daniel Jones fashion, he gets strip-sacked. Eagles recover game over 22 to 21. It was a bad, sloppy back and forth game, and you knew it was going to be this way. And I should have known in my heart of hearts, I knew the Giants would cover this, and I was stupid for taking the Eagles, but I got convinced, I was convinced by Michael Kay and some other uh, forces um, at play here. Okay, Daniel Jones, what happened on that run? Here's what he had to say. Uh, yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. I just try to run faster than I was running and, and, uh, got caught up. So, uh, we finished the drive, scored a touchdown. So that was a relief. Eagles, because of that tie with the Bengals, I think like technically they're in first place, but we got to see what happens now with the Dallas Cowboys taking on the Washington Redskins on Sunday. 
Okay, let's move on. Actually, no. Uh, let me play a clip from Carson Wentz and Boston Scott um, on that game and how they were able to come back in such a short amount of time and get the win. Obviously, there was a lot of emotions there. It was kind of a big, uh, exciting moment, but a big kind of sigh of relief because we know we, we left a lot of plays out there. But um, the way we battled and, and found a way at the end of the game was huge for us. We never faltered, man. Our, our mindset, you know, we were never like panicking or frustrated or whatever. We just knew, we just always knew that, you know, we were going to find a way to win this game. And Carson led us. And, you know, like I said, we, it, was a, it was a great team effort. Okay, now to the biggest news of the day. Antonio Brown and the Bucks have agreed on a one-year deal. There was rumors that he might go to Seattle. I know he was he was seen, you know, uh, working out and practicing with Russell Wilson in the summer um, or in the offseason. So very interesting that he agrees to go to the Bucks. They brought him in tonight. It, Adam Schefter tweeted out, you know, all the sh- all, all the shebang and, and whatnot. It is. It is official once Adam Schefter tweets it out. So, yes, that has happened um, at the time of me uh, doing this podcast right now. But AB, they say that Tom Brady was very instrumental in bringing him over. Of course, they played, what, a couple weeks with the Patriots when they had signed him. And he is still suspended through week eight. So, uh, and, and he has to go through COVID protocol and all that, but barring any setbacks there, he'll finish out his suspension. And coincidentally enough, he gets to come back week nine and will make his debut against the Saints who beat up on the Bucks in week one. And this is going to be a huge, this could be the deciding game to tell us who's going to win the NFC South. And I tell you what, Forget all the antics and the shenanigans and the tomfoolery that has been Antonio Brown lately. This man is so lucky to be getting a third and fourth chance in the league. He better just shut his mouth and he better just work and do his job and just let Tom Brady throw him the ball and this team can be unstoppable. I already bet on them to win the Super Bowl. So if they pull through, I can win $750, okay? You tell me how you stop if you put Gronk out there, AB in the slot, Godwin, and Mike Evans. I mean, this could honestly be, and of course with TB12, Tom Brady at quarterback, this could hands down be, I mean, everything would have to go right. You have, you know, 2011 Eagles with, with, with Vince Young talking about this is going to be the dream team and all that. No, 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 no. This might actually be the realest of them all. This could potentially be the best offense I've ever seen in my lifetime and possibly many, many, many decades. And this could be as explosive as any offense in history of National Football League. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, call it a hot take or, or whatever, all you want. I don't think it's all that hot. Uh, it's yet to be seen. We don't know what Antonio Brown's going to do, um, but just putting it out there. So yes, that is the, the big, big, big news of the day. And then I, I just thought about this, but also um, this could be in the works as well. 
Des Bryant might actually sign with the Baltimore Ravens. And speaking of the Ravens, they did make a trade this week. They traded for Yannick Ngakwe, um, former you know Maryland uh, product. He was with the Jaguars. Then he went to the Minnesota Vikings, lasted about six games there. Uh, guess he doesn't like to lose too much and he might have become a problem or they just decided to dump him because they were in a win now mode. I don't know. But yes, yeah, excuse me, Yannick Ngakwe to the Ravens for a couple, uh, like a fifth round pick. And then I guess like, I think like a sixth round pick the following year, something like that. Um, okay. Let me give you a couple previews of games I like this weekend. Not going to spend too much time on it. You got the Bills and the Jets. Okay, Jets are at home. They're getting Sam Darnold back. They're going to get Denzel Mims on the field making his debut, I believe. Obviously, double-check this stuff prior to game if you're going to bet on it. Bills have lost two games in a row, okay? They haven't looked great in those two games against the Titans and Chiefs. Two, two unbelievable teams, right? Top two teams in the AFC, possibly. All right, anytime you play against the Jets, this is your time to shine. You're on a losing streak? No, now you're on a winning streak. This line opened at 13 and a half, and I was dead set on betting it at 13 and a half because I didn't want it to go up above that two-touchdown threshold. Well, this line has moved down so drastically. It's currently at 11. I could see this line getting down to 10 by game time on Sunday at 1 p.m. Because like I just said, you're getting Denzel Mims. You don't know anything really about him if you're the Bills, and Sam Darnold is coming back, okay? And he's going to be healthy if he's playing. So that gives them a boost there. Um, and of course, the Bills are trending down. I'm, I, But I'm sorry. What After watching last week, that was not an NFL game. That was so bad, okay? So bad they couldn't convert a third down between either team, at least 0 for 19, up until the fourth quarter when the Jets were able to convert on a third down. This team is one of the worst in NFL history. I, in no way, shape, or form, would ever in my life bet the Jets to cover this at 11, okay? Um, if it goes down to 10, I am jumping all over the Buffalo Bills. I have a soft spot for the Bills now that Josh Allen is on my fantasy team and I need him to absolutely go off. He cost me last week by throwing that interception at the end of the game. I needed a couple more points on that final drive and I could have won, got back to 500. But as it is, I'm dropped down to two and four and I'm in need of a big win this weekend. So I am going to take the Bills to cover this one, minus 11. And I think this is a lock. I think it's fair enough to say that this could be a lock. Another one I really like and call me crazy, the Steelers-Titans. This is the must-watch 1 o'clock game of the week. You've got two 5-0 teams, okay? Who is going to remain unbeaten? And you've got Tennessee. This line started, I think, Steelers minus 1. Now it's dropped down to Titans minus 1.5, which is about right. You know, give them a point and a half because they're the home team there. But I'm sorry, I went Steelers all-in last week against the Browns. They smoked them. And quite frankly, yes, the Titans are 5-0. and They escaped barely in overtime against the Texans. They escaped barely in week one. They've had a lot of close games, close calls. The Steelers have not. They've pretty much blown everybody out. Granted, they have these, neither team has really played anyone good, but I really, really like the Steelers here on the road. So that's my other bet. 
is the Steelers. And then I'll give you one more that I really like, and that is the Packers on the road against the Houston Texans coming off that drubbing, that annihilation at the hands of the Buccaneers. There's no chance that the Pack do do not cover this one at three and a half. The spread right now is three and a half. And the Texans, although they're getting better, they're not quite there yet. And I think the Packers, if they don't get back on track this week, then they've got serious issues that we didn't see coming. So I love the Packers there. And like I said, I also love the Steelers. But both of those games, Steelers, Titans, Packers, Texans, take the over as well. Um, If you want to parlay something there, definitely the over if you're unsure whether if you don't like Steelers and, and in my case, Packers. So uh, yeah, those are some games that I like. You've got the uh, Rams or the uh, Seahawks Cardinals was moved to the Sunday night game. It was supposed to be the Bucks and the Raiders, but that got pushed back to, or earlier to a 4 p.m. start. And then Monday night is the Rams hosting the Bears. And surprisingly, the Rams are somehow six-point favorites at home. They just had a bad loss to the 49ers. So uh, I don't know how you could take the Rams here at minus six. Um, you'd have to jump over the, on top of the, the Bears here, I would think. They're five and one. They've got a better record. I mean, six is a lot of points. So, yeah, those are a couple games that I like there. So, uh, and then you've got the Ravens, Colts, Dolphins, and Vikings all on by. So, uh, yeah, that's my take. That's what I've got for NFL. Um, let's now jump in and talk some baseball. Okay, Clayton Kershaw on the mound in game one for the Dodgers. We all know his woes in the playoffs, just not very good. 5.4. ERA in the World Series alone, one of the worst all-time. Justin Verlander actually has the worst uh, ERA in the World Series. But Kershaw, you know, I wanted to bet on the Dodgers here, but they were it was it was they were favored by too much for for me to really you know have any faith. Minus one sixty seven um, was was the line there, um, so I didn't touch that game. Uh, but listen. Uh, excuse me, Verlander. Kershaw was dominant in this game. Six strong innings, one earned run, and eight strikeouts. He did strike out his 200th postseason batter, putting him in second place all time behind, I just said his name, Justin Verlander. Uh, Cody Bellinger, former you know NL MVP, he goes yard in the fourth, a two-run shot. He was careful, though, this time on the celebration. Didn't want to dislocate his shoulder again like he did in his celebration in in Game 7 of the NLCS when he homered, uh, if you could believe that. Bottom of the fifth inning, Max Muncy grounded out to Yandy Diaz at first base. Some heads-up base running by Mookie Betts. He's, you know, speedster, five-tool player. He was off, got a great jump um, on contact. And the throw was just too late. He he slid around that head first. Uh, so the, another run there. Okay. You then had Mookie um, in the bottom of the sixth inning. He went oppo taco for his second career World Series home run. The Dodgers go on to win this one 8-3. to three, And here was what Clayton Kershaw had to say afterwards. You're just as good as your next start, man. So... Um... Just try to make uh, make your pitches, have a good start, and then four days from now, try to make another good start. That's that's all I think about. I'm not worried about what happened in the past. I'm not worried about um, you know good games, bad games, things like that. You wash it. You know I'm going to celebrate tonight. And if I had a bad one, I would have been disappointed tonight. But tomorrow's a new day, and uh, we're one and zero in the World Series. That's pretty special, man. We're going to come back and try to do it tomorrow. Rays hitters missed 
on 50% of the sw- of their swings against Kershaw. It's his first game, the first game of his career in which hitters missed on half their swings. The Rays are just, they're home run or bust. I mean, I think they're, 68% of their runs in the playoffs have, are scored on the home run ball. It, it, it's, it's, just, uh, it's just unbelievable. I think I heard another stat that's, that was... Um, when when a team out you know outslugs their their opponent hits more home runs than their opponent um they're like 35 and and 12 on the season just like ridiculous numbers it's it's become so analytical all about the home run and, and i mean the rays are living and dying by it because they you know they hit like under 200 in their ser- in the in the championship series against the astros and you know, I don't know that they can sustain that. I picked the Dodgers to win the World Series this year. I'm sticking by that. They go up one nothing, but it wasn't going to be that easy. Game two, you give the slight edge to the Rays. You've got former Cy Young winner Blake Snell on the hill for the Rays and Tony Gonsolin. I think he is a rookie. Um, very solid uh, this year. Helped me win my fantasy Uh championship league championship in fantasy baseball i picked him up like midway through the season and he was just getting better and better and better but this moment proved to be uh, i wouldn't say too big for him i mean dave roberts being dave roberts um making a very questionable decision so let me give you the breakdown brandon lau goes deep in the first inning to put the raise up one nothing and then in the second inning there was like a runner on second or third with one out and that's when Dave Roberts decided to yank him and go to the bullpen. Now, listen, Dave Roberts, uh, I don't know if you were told to do this or what, but it's absolutely the wrong move, okay? You just won game one. Now you're just panicking and acting scared by taking your starter out in the first inning. Uh, let him stay in there and let him deal. If he gives up another run, so be it. Get some length out of him. You don't want to torture bullpen already in game two when you have a one, one up, when you're up one game to nothing already. You're not down two games to nil like no um but Blake Snell he he was filthy in this one dialed in had nine strikeouts through just four and two-thirds innings pitched with the Rays up three nothing in the top half of the fifth Lau did it again this time a two-run shot off Dylan May both shots were opposite field uh homers to left center in the bottom half of the fifth the Dodgers would finally get on the board hey another one of my uh fantasy uh you know MVPs Chris Taylor, he was my first pickup in free agency after he was not, excuse me, drafted. And my goodness, was he phenomenal for me. One of my better uh, top like three or four players on my team. Just great. Him and Corey Seager, you know, really gave me that, uh, took it to the end. But he uh, he goes opposite field for a two-run shot to give them some life, the Dodgers, that is. But the Rays would add one more and hold on for the 6-4 to four victory, and they even the series at one game apiece. Here's Brandon Lau on his two-homer night, a much-needed. He was batting abysmally, uh, abysmally so far in the playoffs. I think the energy was carried over from the minute we lost last night. You know, we... We knew we were better than what we showed yesterday, and we had to come out and you know strike first. You know, leaving today, you know, I feel I feel a lot better than I had beforehand. That's for sure. So, um, got to come out the next day and come out the next game, and you know, do it all over again. Today means nothing now. Got to come out and do it all again. The Rays pitching staff produced 15 strikeouts in Game Two. 
which is tied for the second most in a nine-inning game in World Series history. And as I look at the scoreboard, the Dodgers are up 6-1 to one in the top half of the ninth inning. So they just need three more outs, and they will take a 2-1 series lead there. Okay, let's talk some NBA big news coming uh, yesterday. Stan Van Gundy has signed a multi-year deal to become head coach of the Pelicans. That's a little bit interesting, a little bit older, um, several stops in the NBA. He's coached 11 seasons, got a 577 win percentage, uh, 527 in the playoffs, including a 2009 appearance with the Orlando Magic in the NBA Finals. That's when he, you know, you saw uh, Hito Turkoglu, Dwight Howard, Jameer Nelson, um, J.J. Redick, and that's uh, part of the reason that the Pelicans signed him, J.J. Redick, very uh, speaks very highly of Stan Van Gundy. Um, here is Woj on this hiring and what it means for Stan Van to take over this young squad led by its star in Zion Williamson. His ability to provide structure, uh, professionalism, and teach a young roster. The elite defenses that Van Gundy has had through the years around the league. And talk to J.J. Redick, uh, one of the veterans on that Pelicans roster. He credits the, his growth as a young player and what he became in the NBA was because he started his career off with Stan Van Gundy. Uh, you know, Those were all factors that led them to Stan Van Gundy, whose focus is just going to be on coaching the team. So there you have that there. And then we'll wrap this one up. What's on this weekend? You got college football, of course, but better yet, the Big Ten makes its debut season opener for the Big Ten. My Rutgers Scarlet Knights going to Michigan State. Um, I don't know the spread right now, but I heard it was like 13 or 14. I don't know if that's all. I can't verify that. My, one of my friends said that. But I honestly, as somebody who was betting against Rutgers every single game last year, I would actually bet in favor of Rutgers to cover this spread. Michigan State, they've got a new head coach. They're kind of in shambles, had a really uh, bad season a year ago. Um, so if you uh, live in one of the states that you can bet, like Pennsylvania, because uh, I can't bet on Rutgers here in Jersey unless I use a, um, you know, a technically, I guess, a legal sports book um, or an overseas, overseas sports book is the better term. So, um, yeah, I don't feel like doing that. So I'd have to drive just over the border to PA if I wanted to bet on it, but I won't be able to do so. So that's some advice I'm giving you uh, is go with Rutgers um, to cover in that game against Michigan State. You've, of course, got number five Ohio State hosting uh, Nebraska. They should absolutely thrash them in their debut. Uh, 26 and a half points spread right now. I find it quite funny that Ohio State is ranked number five in the country and they haven't yet played a game. So that's a little bit interesting there. You got number eight, Penn State at Indiana. You've got uh, number 18, Michigan going on the road to 21, Minnesota. That's another big matchup in the Big Ten. And then, of course, you just had tonight number 14, Wisconsin, laying it all on Illinois, okay, um, 45 to 7. Um, and then, of course, you've got, you know, your main college football teams. You've got Clemson, uh, you know, you name it. They're all playing. Um, so I'm looking forward to the Big Ten. I can't wait 
to get home after softball practice tomorrow, watch Rutgers, see what they can do under, you know, the tutelage of Greg Schiano. Now that he is back and he's producing a top 25 recruiting class. So, so it should be fun. I'm not really still sure who they're going to throw in at quarterback, if it's the transfer or if it's going to be Art Sikowski again, um, but we shall see. And then also, we've got UFC 254 tomorrow night, Khabib versus uh, Justin Gagey for the lightweight belt. No idea who's going to win this, but Khabib is undefeated. We know what Gagey is capable of. I, I, I'm not a fan of Khabib. I root for, I root for Gagey in this one, but I probably wouldn't touch it. And then you've got Game Four of the World Series. Now that the Dodgers are on the brink of going up two games to one, they can take a huge, huge commanding three-one uh, lead tomorrow night. Um, so that should be good. I'll be tuned into that as well. And then finally, guys, on this date in sports. October 23rd, 1993. So I was just, you know, one year old. So of course I don't remember this, but it was Joe Carter hitting a walk-off three-run homer in game six of the World Series to give the Toronto Blue Jays their second consecutive World Series title. Along with Bill Mazeroski's walk-off in 1960, Carter's blast is just is one of just two walk-off home runs to win the World Series. Here it is, guys. I'll play that clip for you as I bid you farewell. I will talk to you guys next time. I'll catch you uh, next week on another episode of This Week in Sports. Stay safe. Enjoy the weekend. I'll be golfing on Sunday, so there's that to look forward to. So long. I'll talk to you guys next week. Here's the pitch on the way. A swing and a belt. Left field. Way back.